how is it that with the different wounds that we carry, how Jesus addresses that, and yet at the same time, there's marks that we want to hit in life to be spectacular, to stand out, to find meaning in our life. And even that, Jesus addresses. And in the Gospel of Mark, what we're looking at is how Jesus truly meets us where we're at. And so we go to today's passage from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. And if you're able, can you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? These are his holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Uh, Let's give him our full attention today. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him, with uh, with them in the, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And when they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us. As the grass withers and the flowers fall, the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. I I went to Happy Hollow this weekend in San Jose because a lot of you guys were raving about it. Um, It's a really cute amusement park for little kids. And I went with my daughter and my wife. And the first thing that she wants to do, my daughter, is there's this huge merry-go-round in the, right in the middle of the park. And she says, can we go on it? So I went on this merry-go-round and, you know, we get, she gets all strapped in and I, I stand next to the pole and grab onto the pole and it starts going and it, it goes by fast. I'm serious. It goes by really fast. And after the ride ends, I realized I can't do rides anymore. Like the, the liquid in my ear is too thick or something and I just get really dizzy. I used to love roller coasters, but I can't even handle a merry-go-round. And it made me think, why do we like these things? Why do we like these things, like these scary things like roller coasters? Or why do we like watching scary movies? Why do we do uh, bungee cord jumping and all these activities that we gladly dish out money for, for something that we're trying to avoid emotionally speaking, that emotion being fear. Why do we pay money to be scared? I've wondered upon this psychology. You know, there's this uh, research that's been done and what scientists found out is that when human beings, their response to fear, uh, when they have this fearful response, there's this chemical in the brain that's being released called oxycodone oxycodone, uh, which is the exact same chemical that's released in love. It's released in love. Fear and love together. I don't think that's by accident. At the crossroads of everything that we could be afraid of in life, we are met with this deep primal desire for someone to just care. Who cares about me as I go through this? 
It's not an accident. Faith is there to help us navigate through the many fears that we could possibly have going through this life. And this passage is an inducement of fear, but how will faith play its way out? There's three things I want us to look at here. There's a storm, there's a sense of sleep, and there's a stillness. Storm, sleep, and stillness here. Let's look at the first part, a storm. For God to be truly near you means that there should be nothing to be afraid of, at least theoretically speaking here. The disciples literally have God in the boat with them. What could possibly go wrong? See, after uh, in the previous passage, after a long day of teaching his parables, Jesus must have given like an 18-hour lecture on what his kingdom is like. And by verse 35, you realize it's dark. It's dark outside. And as it's night, right, as it's dark, Jesus tells and commands the disciples, let's go to the other side of the sea. Let's go to the other side of the sea. You guys ever been to Lake Elizabeth at night? It's spooky. I went there at 8 o'clock. I went out for a run. I wanted to go for a jog at 8 o'clock. I went to Lake Elizabeth, you know, but there's absolutely no lights. It's ominous. Like there's like a little bit of fog there. And I thought, no way. It's too scary. It's not like I'm sponsored by Nike or something. I'm not just going to do it. I'm just going to live today. That's what's going to happen. And the thing is, it's not a good idea for these disciples to cross the sea in the dark. Right? There's no, there's no headlights invented back then. There's no lighthouses that exist. If the boat capsizes or hits a rock, there's no one to call for help. But hey, God is in the boat with us. What could possibly go wrong? Here's what happens. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. You almost forget that we just came out of a storm here in the Bay Area a couple months ago. It's a level three storm that blew out windows in San Francisco. Trees were being uprooted. The highways were being flooded. Power lines going out. My friend's place, it flooded with four inches of water. This must have lasted at least a month or two. And the thing is, this was all on land. In the ancient minds, for them to witness a storm, they understood storms to represent the divine power of the gods. That's how they understood storms. That for some reason, the gods must be angry and there's a storm going on. And against this kind of context and background, the Bible describes God as having power to make waves crash in over his foes, while at the same time, God possessing power to make the storms absolutely still. God possesses terrifying power. Yet Jesus leads the disciples straight into the storm. He leads them straight into the storm. What is up with that? Why would he do such a thing? What happened to his great care and love for us? Why are you doing this? The storms for us, they they come in the forms of hospital visitations, financial stressors of unforeseen costs, losing a job, trying to find a job, strained marriages, whatever makes you have to ask, 
Why are you doing this? That's a storm. One writer put it this way, that a ship is safe in its harbor, but that's not what it's made for. That's not what it's built for. I think that's a fitting metaphor for what faith is. That faith without storms, yes, it's, it's safe, but that's not why God gives faith. I shared with the kids last week that I've been skydiving before, and um, don't, tell my health insur- don't tell my health insurance company. They might raise my premiums. But I've been skydiving before, and truth be told, it's not that scary, right? I, I don't share this because I'm a brave person or I have this macho bravado. That's, that's not it at all. Because if you've ever been skydiving before for the first time, they don't let you do it alone. Instead, you have to be, your back gets strapped to the chest of another experienced skydiver. That's what happens. So they pair you up accordingly to your weight and height. So, of course, I get paired up with some 200-pound-plus man who's as tall as Shaquille O'Neal, and I'm strapped to his chest like a baby in an ergo. It's super hard to feel masculine in this posture as I sit on another man's lap waiting to jump out of the plane. And once you start, uh, people start jumping out one by one, and once you jump out, you, you float into the air. And as I jumped out and floating in the air, the instruction, instructor yells, Oh, I, f- I forgot the parachute! And I knew he was joking because I know for the same reason why I wasn't afraid to begin with. He's not going to let me die. There's no way. Because if I die, he's going to die too. And if I only die, then he's going to jail forever. My level of fear is based on the level of control that I had over this situation. I guarantee you, if I were just doing this alone, I would not have jumped out of the plane. You think that as a way of metaphor, this this metaphor is like Jesus is the one who straps onto us and he lets us know that everything's going to be okay and he jumps out of the plane with you and he tells you, I didn't bring my parachute and I'm not joking because he is going to die for our sins. Now, Amos, I want you to practice dying to yourself every day. I want you to let go of your control issues. I want you to let go of this and that. Die to yourself. Because faith can't grow without a little bit of doubt being introduced into our lives. That as I take you through the storms in your life, I want you to know what it means to have faith. What an insane God to do such a thing. See, in the darkness of the night, with 20 feet waves crashing in and nearly capsizing their boat, water is getting everywhere. Everyone's getting drenched. Where is Jesus in all this? Where is the good Lord? Verse 38. But he was in, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. He's sleeping. Point number two. Why do we sleep? Why do we even sleep to begin with? Neurologist and somnologist that's an expert in sleep named Chris Winters, he says that all of academia, all the experts, they cannot definitively define why it is that we actually go to sleep. No one knows why. These guys are experts. They have more degrees than Fahrenheit, yet they still can't tell you why it is that we sleep. 
we leave ourselves so vulnerable in this position of sleep for spiders to crawl over us and to inject venom into us, yet we need it to survive. Jesus falls asleep at the least ideal time possible. And the thing is, throughout the Old Testament, when God is described as sleeping, it's actually a description of his sovereign reign over everything. This isn't a a description of laziness, but the description of his power, that he reigns and controls everything. He is sovereign. But when we sleep, it's the acceptance that we really control nothing. And we are simply dead corpses. And we rest like one. And perhaps this is the scariest part of life, to have absolutely no control. I've been uh, on my feed, YouTube feed, I, I, I see these feeds of like bunnies, baby bunnies had, are coming out of their little nests and crows attacking them and eating them. And like, they're so vulnerable to so many things like crows and seagulls. And I look at these things and I, I, I start worrying about my kids because I'm like, oh, my kids aren't safe after I watch these things. There's so many things that can prey on them. The culture that exists. The, the fact that they have to constantly achieve and be doing something. My kids aren't safe. You know what's scary to me than skydiving at this point? Is honestly being a head pastor at this church. That's scary to me. That's like the biggest thing I had to wrestle with before coming here. And as I had this conversation with um, Pastor Dave, one of the things that stood out to me is that he told me as I was deciding the uh, processing the information and everything and my decision and all that, he said, Amos, just be bold. Be bold. I'm trying to be bold, but I'm still scared at the same time, you know? I don't have control. There's no control over these things. What do you lack control in? What do you so desperately need need to grab a hold on in your life? Because we all have something. And when you can't accept the lack of control that you actually have, it sounds like this. Verse 38. They woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care This isn't the language of respect. It's actually the language of panic. And this is the most aggressively passive thing you can actually make. Aggressively passive comment you can make. They don't even state the actual problem. Can you save us? That would have been a good uh, request. They don't even ask that. Instead, they gaslight Jesus with a simple statement. Don't you even care. Don't you even care? What's interesting to me is what stands out is verse 36. It says that when the disciples, they got into the boat, they took Jesus with them just as he was. I think that's such an interesting detail to me because why do they include this? Usually when we hear this expression of come as you are, it means even if your life is a mess, even if you are a mess, just come as you are. We'll accept you. We'll welcome you. And I'm guessing that when it says that they took Jesus as he was, it didn't mean he had a messy life. It didn't mean he had some disheveled hipster look and he smelled like fish or something like that. And they said they just took him as he was. I don't think that's what it is. 
I think Jesus was already sleeping, and the disciples took him in that sleeping state, just as he was. And just as he was, it was no problem for the disciples. Just let the Messiah sleep. Give him his beauty rest. Let him take his power nap. It's okay with us. And they were okay with that state until the storm hits. Then his sleeping becomes a problem. And here lies our problem. Here lies our problem because we don't question God's mercy We don't question God's mercy over us and over everything until there's people at work that slide us, that talk behind our backs. They get the promotion while we get the demotion. And then God's mercy becomes a problem for us. We don't question God's generosity, how he's given us all good things in our lives. No problems there. Until you got to shell out all this money for termites that infested your house or the medical expenses that you didn't see coming. That's when God's generosity, that's a problem now. You never question God's sovereignty. He's in control of everything. Of course, that's great. He's got me. Until the storm hits. Then you say, wait a minute. What are you doing? So we have to ask, why don't you care? Why don't you care? In this whole ordeal, Jesus asks the disciples another question. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? It's kind of harsh for Jesus to say this. Why are you being so afraid? I mean, what, what exactly did Jesus expect? Did he expect that as these tsunamis were coming in and dr- about to drown them? What did Jesus really expect from them? For these disciples to start playing their violins as if they're running their rendition of Titanic and as the, as the boat slowly sinks down, that they have all this faith that God will still be with them. What, what, they, what do you really expect? Have you no faith? Theologian Ian Duguid, he put it this way, They said, we want our relationship with God to be smooth and easy while God designed it to be real and deep. We want our relationship to be uh, with God to be smooth and easy while God actually designed it to be real and deep. And yet God has to take us into deep waters to actually do deep soul change, soul work in our lives. Sometimes it takes a storm to get us there. Sometimes that's what we need. You know, like smoking is one of those great areas in the Christian life, whether it's a sin or not. And just like alcohol, it's kind of this matter of wisdom and conscience. And occasionally, I I, I do smoke cigars once or twice a year, only because with richer friends who give me these things. I don't smoke by myself. I would never do it myself. It's just too expensive and not, and not worth the habit for myself. But that's the context there. My friend gives me a cigar one day, and we're uh, hanging out in the backyard, and we're catching up over Zoom. And in the backyard, as I'm smoking the cigar, I hear the glass window on my backyard door, uh, backyard window, tap, 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 and it's my son. And he says, Appa, Appa. I was like, what? And he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I just, you know, I'm not thinking. And so I just go, hey, go, go, go to sleep. It's his bedtime. 
and then he disappears. So I'm enjoying my time. And then Kathy comes out and she says, hey, Miles saw you. He's really worried about you. And in that moment, I didn't, it didn't, re- I didn't realize he's never seen me smoke before. Because right? I tell this kid, it's bad for you, bad for your body. And to this kid, he thinks I'm injecting poison into myself. Like I'm purposely taking away my own life. And I realized he had this fear in his eyes. Like, why are you doing this to yourself? The next day, it was such a tough conversation. I didn't really know what to say. I don't even know if he understands properly what happened. I just, I'm just not going to smoke at all to begin with, just not have these conversations. But I realized something, that this fear and this look in his eyes is the look of the, someone who absolutely cared about me enough to just tap on the window and just say, hey, what are you doing to yourself? You got to stop. That's what a storm is. It's a glass window of your soul and God looking at your life and the sins that you think you have hidden, the thing that you have managed and controlled, the thing that you think you can just get over by sheer willpower and God simply tapping on that window and saying, hey, 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 what are you doing? The storms are there for God to graciously intervene. For him to say, I'm here to do deep soul work. This needs to change about your life. That's why the storms are there. His ultimate care is not to get rid of the storms in our lives, but to calm the one that exists in your soul. And unless you can accept this, there truly will be no stillness to your life. Which is the last point. When Jesus is awakened, he says something very intriguing to me. In verse 39, he says, he rebuked the wind. He rebuked the wind. This word rebuke being the very word that he used when Jesus first performed his first healing of casting out a demon, which goes to show that to the extent of God's care is greater than just our troubled souls. He's thinking about the entire humanity that it's not just our hearts that are disordered, but that on a global and cosmic scale, all of creation is disordered. It's distorted. And nothing is as it should be. What God has created good has become distorted in every aspect of our lives. Love is good, but we envy. We compare. There's all sorts of isms. Food is good but there's eating disorders. Life is a gift, but it's distorted by death. Chaos exists all around us. And against the chaos of the storm, Jesus commands the storm, verse 39, peace and be still. Peace is too tame. The better translation is be quiet. And there is a great calm. And if only such calmness can be for our own hearts as well. Look at the disciples' reaction. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The fear of the storm quickly disappeared. 
as the disciples realized who truly was in the boat with them. Who was in the boat with them? See, at Happy Hollow, there's also a roller coaster ride, and it's probably their fastest ride there. And Millie really wanted to ride it. But like I said, I'm not, the merry-go-round did me in. I can't do it. And so I look to Kathy, and Kathy says, I've already done this many times. It's your turn to go. So I go. We get into the roller coaster, and you know every roller coaster, the first part is the highest part, so it goes all the way up, and it pauses for like an hour, and we're waiting there for it to drop. We see mom at the bottom with her camera out, and, we, and I tell Millie, hey, Millie, let's wave, and then shoo, it goes down. And as, soon, and as soon as it goes down, she automatically just grabs my hand, and it's the best feeling in the world as a father for her to, my little girl to just hold my hand. And at the end of the ride, I ask her if she was scared. Are you okay, Millie? And she says, no, it was fun. Let's do it again. That's what she says to me. And in my mind, I'm thinking, she's grabbing my hand. But I realize in life, I think I'm more holding on to hers. And the thing is, I need her hand to help me get through this life, to grow as a person, as a human being. Because if there's one thing we actually truly need to realize is who is actually with us in the storm that we call life. Who's actually with you in the storms? There's a greater storm that Jesus had to face. A cosmic floodwaters of judgment for the sins of a disordered humanity. A distorted one. And Jesus dives head headfirst into that storm and he drowns. Also that God's hands can hold on to yours, refusing to let you go because he cares too much. He cares too much to let you go. That he's willing to let his own son go. He let Jesus go so that he can hold on to yours. And if you know this, then what's left to be afraid of? What is there to truly fear? Because the Lord of the storm, he not only rebukes and commands the seas to be still, but he holds on to you and says, it's going to be all right. I'm with you. And that's the kind of peace that you can have. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Friends, Take some time to reflect. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? It's a safe space because no one else has to know. But God does. And as you ponder upon those things, can you offer up to your God, Lord, here's what I'm afraid of. Here's where my control issues exist. And as you lay those things down, can you ask, Lord, bring a stillness, a calmness to my life? Let's just do that for one minute here.
Father God, we come to you with many of our worries, with many of our fears, and yet for us, it's overwhelming. Even if we can hold it together in front of our social media feeds or in front of the eyes of other people, it's overwhelming. Lord, you are not overwhelmed by our mess, but instead you promise, I am Lord over the storm. And as Lord over our lives, we pray and ask that you would just grow our faith just a little bit more because your hand is upon us. God, whatever trial, tribulations, whatever the storm looks like in this season of life, we pray that we would seek you. We pray that we would have an overwhelming sense our God truly is with us. And so draw near. Thank you for your gracious presence, even when we cannot see it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.